Father God, we thank you for uh, your greatness, your goodness. You're, you're an amazing God. When we sing that song and, and shouts of praise come out, I'm just, I can't wait for the day that we step through the gates of heaven and we get to see your face and we get to, to stand in your presence. And, and I just can't wait to be able to be there with all of the saints. And I, I look forward to that day, but it hasn't come yet. And so we have, a, we have a responsibility here on this earth. And talking to other people this morning, Father, there's neighbors and friends and family who do not know you. And it is our responsibility to take this word that we're going to be talking about today to this lost and dying world and finding some way to share it with them. So, Lord, equip us this morning, Father God. Use our pastor. Fill him to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Equip us so that we might go and be good representatives for you, Father God. We want to, uh, we want to see a, a, a lot more people come with us when we go to see that step through those gates, Lord. We love you. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do here this morning. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, if you would like to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 to be specific. Paul, as he writes this letter, is in chains in the Mamertime dungeon in Rome awaiting execution and everyone has deserted him. He mentions uh, Figilus and Hermogenes by name. Their departure must have wounded him very personally and very deeply, or he wouldn't have named them by name. The same has happened to you. As people have come and gone into your life, people that have wounded you, wounded sheep generally wound other sheep, though. So it's best to take those wounds, as Paul did, and give them to the Lord. These are to his glory and honor and praise as he gives us strength. He, he strengthened Paul. And I'm amazed that in this letter, his, his swan song, if you will, he will not write another letter. He will be executed in short order. He's less concerned about himself than he is Timothy. He's less concerned about himself. You should be more concerned with others than you are yourself. Christ died for us. We have a difficult time dying to our own flesh, let alone dying to the point that we minister to other people. And yet, isn't that exactly what Christ has called us to? That's why He's given us His Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He empowers you for works of ministry, but He enables you to do things outside of yourself. The spiritual gifts are given not so you can feel good about you and how spiritual you are. The spiritual gifts are a supernatural enablement to minister to other people. Gifts like caring and compassion Tongues and prophecy and interpretation and giving, a thousand other things whereby the Holy Spirit will use you to just bless somebody else. But look for opportunities to be a blessing to other people. That, in short, is what Paul is going to tell Timothy. But then he backs up a little bit and says, but before you're equipped for ministry, you have to offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. Ministry flows out of your relationship with God. If you have no relationship with God, there is no ministry that takes place. You're concerned only with yourself, only with your flesh. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you begin to, to know from the reading of God's Word that there is a life of ministry before you that involves other people, not you. Christ died and gave His life, and that's what we need to do as well. And he's going to tell Timothy, there are some things, Timothy, that as a godly man, there are some things you need to run to, and there are some things you need to run from. Timothy was a young man, probably somewhere plus or minus of 30 years of age. So he had all of the hormones at 30 years of age that you would expect. He was unmarried. Temptations came his way in the Roman world as they do to us in America today. None are exempt from, from these things. He mentions not only Figilus and Hermogenes by name and indicating by them that he had been so desperately wounded, but God took care of that wound by sending another guy by the name of Onesiphorus, who was a friend that, that sailed 
over 800 miles across the Aegean Sea and then traveled overland, hunting down Paul. Rome was a huge city, over 400,000 slaves, over 200 freedmen made up that city, that capital city of the Roman Empire in that day. And this guy went from jail to jail and court to court and place to place until he found Paul. God made sure that he, that he found his destination. And Onesiphorus was not there for his sake, but for Paul's. So when Satan removes somebody from your life that leaves a wound, know this. He's going to send you somebody that will attend to that wound. In the meantime, don't grow bitter. Don't become angry. Don't think, take things into your own hands. Trust God. Trust God. There's always a brother and a sister that are willing to come alongside of you and minister. It, of a necessity, you have to be transparent. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would you come alongside me? I'm really struggling with this issue or that issue. That's all it takes is somebody with just enough compassion to say, can I, can I help you? Can, is there something I can pray for you about? You can do that at home. You can do that in the workplace. You can even do that in a Walmart parking lot. If you're looking for those kind of opportunities, what a godsend this man Onesiphorus was. And, and in his letter, Paul is not throwing a pity party. All he wants to do is encourage someone else by the name of Timothy. Somebody else. He's unconcerned with himself. Timothy will inherit Paul's ministry and what kind of encouragement does Paul offer him? A couple of words. Stay strong. Stay strong. How do you do that? Dependent upon God in praise and worship, the reading of His Word, in fellowship, in communion, all of the four things that made the early church strong in Acts chapter 2. Do those things. Stay strong. Because all you have to do to, to grow weak is nothing. Your muscles spiritually dry up. If you don't use them, you lose them. Spiritual exercise is more important than anything you could engage upon. Stay strong these last days. There's a lot vying for your attention. Have you notice that? How many of you could say, I'm busy? Uh-huh. Greatest excuse we could offer God. Because in our heart of hearts, we know it's an excuse. Do not we have the same exact 24 hours that Jesus Christ had when he walked the earth? Or did the day grow shorter miraculously? He had all the time to do the perfect will of God, and he did it. Spent time alone with God, his Father, on the mountaintop? When's the last time you did that? Took a drive up in the mountains here of Colorado with God, got out of the car and claimed to a peak a few feet anyway, and just sat out and says, Lord, I want to meet you here on the mountaintop. You don't need to journey to the mountains to touch the hem of his garment. All it requires is an open heart and a few minutes and honesty. Seek him out. God said in, in Jeremiah, if you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. But did you notice whose responsibility the seeking is? That's yours and mine. If you don't seek, you won't find. If you don't knock, the door will not be open to you. There is a responsibility that we have. So, Timothy, he says, be strong and stay faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to the ministry, faithful to man. Be faithful, full of faith in all the, the circumstances of life. Stay full of faith, Timothy. Nothing more important than that. Stay strong by being in, in God's presence. Stay faithful as he fills you with his Holy Spirit. Faithful to the ministry, the work that he's called you to. Whether it's raising kids or flying airplanes or shooting guns or whatever he's called you to. Stocking groceries at Walmart doesn't matter. There's so little concern for himself in this letter. And it is the last letter that he will ever write. And he knows it. There's no fear of death. There's no anxiety. Oh, man, the Roman executioner is going to lop off my head. If you knew that you were going to die in a matter of days, what would you say in a letter? Boy, there, that's, that's a serious matter, isn't it? If you knew that you were going to die in just a couple of days, 
What would you write in a letter? Hmm. Maybe we'll get some tips as we go through this book. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 begins Paul's exhortations. You then, despite all of these other folks that have left me and those that have opposed my, my teaching, you then, my son, stay strong. Be strong. It, it's worded in such a way in the original language, it says stay strong and be strong and continue always, continuously staying strong. And it's in the active voice, which means you and only you, Timothy, can do this. You have to stay strong. God has done His part. He has sent His Son. He's given His Holy Spirit. Did you know that a lot of this is upon you and I now? We can't earn our salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But we can stay strong but that takes willful pursuit, doesn't it? I don't know how many of you are hunters or fishermen and look forward to those seasons that come along in Colorado, but have you noticed you have to be intentional if you're going to bring something home? You don't stand by the creek bed up at 11 Mile and say, well, I hope a fish jumps out of the water into my basket. You don't go hunting and say, well, maybe God will provide me a, a rock and a slingshot and I can hit that elk right in between his eyes and he'll fall over like Goliath did. It requires some intentionality. You've got to get a permit. You've got to get a gun. You've got to get a fishing rod. These things don't happen by accident, but somehow or another we assume in our Christian walk, oh, I'm fine with God and I don't have to do anything. You can stay nominal but you'll never be walking on the tops of the clouds. You'll never be effective in ministry. You'll always be throwing a pity party because narcissism is the opposite of living for God. Narcissism makes you the king of glory, not God. So we either pursue self or we pursue him, and you can't go two different directions at the same exact time. So he's going to encourage Timothy not only stay strong, but keep pursuing the things that keep you strong. Stay strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So it's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus, pursuing Him. Keep on being strengthened by God, Timothy. Keep in touch with that source of power is what he's saying. And we have to understand that, that Christ is the only source for power there is in this life. As Christians, there is no other source of power for victorious Christian living. There, there is no 12-step program, no agency, no glee club you can join that's going to fulfill your deepest spiritual needs. It's only found in Christ. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he says. Not in the legalism, not in the law, not in religion, not in degrees that you acquire. It's legalism that's threatening the church today as it was back then. The idea that you can work yourself into God's favor. So he says, be strong in the grace. Not a legalistic works trip like the Jewish religious leaders were trying to do to earn God's approval. We live by faith in Christ Jesus. He has graciously saved us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't buy it. But once I'm saved, can I stay in that place of grace and live a life that is pleasing to Him? If I, if I so desire, yes. What do you desire? What do you desire? Hmm. I was just reading yesterday in my quiet time. Promotion comes from the Lord, not from the east or the west or the desert. Promotion comes from the Lord. You want to do well in this life? Stay strong in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll bless you. He'll give you opportunities that you never saw coming. He'll cause His face to shine upon you in ways that you could not have anticipated. He goes on in verse 2 and says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, keep this ball rolling. Tell others about Jesus. Encourage faith in their hearts. But Timothy had been listening to Paul for years, had accompanied him on, on his last two missionary journeys. And Paul taught Timothy, as he taught others, keep this ball rolling, tell others about this. There, there's this endless list of teacher training and gospel propagation that goes on. Think about that. It's come all the way down to you and me. 
Maybe Paul led Timothy to faith in Christ, and Timothy led somebody else, and led somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, and finally it came down to you. That's an amazing chain. I've often wondered, uh, are we going to someday in our glorified body standing before the Lord, are we going to get tapped on the shoulder and, and go, well, Pastor Jim, I don't, I don't think you remember me, but you know, the, the first six months you started your church, I came and visited once, and, and I never came back. But on that day, I got saved. On that day, I got saved and went on and did this or did that. And the army took me here or took me there as a missionary all over the world. But everywhere I went, I knew that Jesus had changed my life. And I just wanted to say thank you. Wouldn't it be neat if there was a long line of people in heaven just wanting to say thank you to you when you get there? Wouldn't that be cool? You love Jesus, that smile you gave me, that prayer in church that day that I really needed, that, that attaboy. I can hear you singing at the top of your lungs. It just blessed my socks off, encouraged faith in my heart. Be a blessing. Keep passing that on. The joy of the Lord can be contagious, but looking like you were weaned on lemons is contagious too. Don't bring that to church. Don't bring that to church. Bring your happy face. Bring your game face. This is about Jesus. This is about blessing each other, encouraging each other, and keep on passing it on to other people. That's, our, that's why we are here. We are God's method of telling the world about God. We are His method. We could have chosen angels. I think, by and large, the church has done a real poor job of evangelizing planet Earth Good grief, Paul took the gospel to the ends of the earth in his day, and he was just one man living out a fairly short lifespan. And we, with now with telephones and computers and, and all, all of these devices that we could quickly scale the highest mountains and sail the furthest seas, why haven't we taken the gospel to every man, woman, and child on the planet? What excuse do we have? I mean, Paul took it upon himself to evangelize the whole world as far as he knew it. What are you doing to evangelize? Do you use the social media to advance the cause of the gospel? Because so much of social media, if you haven't noticed, seems to be centered around gossip and slander and politics and hobbies. Let me tell you something. God doesn't care about your politics. God doesn't care about your garden. He doesn't care about your hobbies. He doesn't care about your social media contacts or how many people like you or dislike you or have friended you or unfriended you. God does not care about these things. I know that's, you're thinking, that's blasphemy, Pastor Jim. Don't you know how revered our cell phones are? Makes a poor God. Makes a poor God. Glorify God on using those things. We have all of these things at our disposal today, but use them for God's glory. Not yours. Use them for God's glory. Facebook, use it for God's glory. Encourage faith in people. Send out little soul vitamins on a regular basis just to encourage other people. Spend time with God. And you can do that without your cell phone. You do it best when you turn your cell phone off. <laughs> I, uh, some of you have a, a panic look on your face already. Turn my cell phone off. Are you kidding? That's my life. No, it isn't. Jesus Christ is your life. Jesus Christ is your life. <laughs> the world tells you it's your cell phone. If it is, you don't have eternal life. You have cell phone life. Short battery life on that one. I would encourage you to trade it in. Verse 3, endure hardship. This is such a fascinating word in the language. It starts off with soon, the preposition that means together. That's where we get the word symphony. Let's do this together. Kako is the center of the word. Bad stuff. We go through bad stuff together. That's the picture of the church. And it ends with this word pathoson, which is where we get the word pathos. Because you care. Because you have a soft heart. Let's come alongside of each other when we go through the inevitable bad stuff that happens to good people. Let's do this together. That's what the church is about. It's not an individual pursuit. It's a it's a. It's a it's a group sport. Endure hardship, he says. He'll touch on that here a bit more. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier 
gets involved in civilian affairs. He's going to give us three examples here, and I like this because we live in a military community. This is important as to what he says. Endure hardship like a good soldier, not of the Roman legions, not even of the United States Army. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul often described himself as a prisoner, not of Rome, but a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's your identity, who you work for, the people that sign your paycheck. That's not your boss. Jesus Christ is. That's why it says, in all that you do, do it as unto who? The Lord. The Lord. That's who your real boss is. That's who's looking over your shoulder. Your immediate superior officer, that drill sergeant that's drilling you, that's nah, not your boss. Do all of your work as unto the Lord. Endure hardship like a, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A Roman soldier's single-minded purpose, his rigorous discipline, his unquestioned obedience was to his commanding officer. It was the centurions that held the Roman legions together. It wasn't the emperor. It wasn't the high-ranking generals of the army. It was, it was the, the common, it was the top sergeants, if you will, that, that held the whole army together. What, a, what an example. You want to please your commanding officer who is Jesus Christ? Uh, that's what I want to follow. But be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, soldiers, uh, when they're engaged in battle, are not entangled with the affairs of daily life. They don't allow the cares of this world to choke out their mission assignment. Well, your mission assignment will last until the trumpet sounds and God calls you home. So stay faithful, stay diligent. My desire is the same as this one. Look at verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. That's my desire. I want to please my commanding officer. I understand who my boss is. Verse 5, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, his second example here reminds us of, a, of an athletic contest, the Olympics, if you will. He does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. According to the rules. There's a right way and a wrong way to do life and ministry. Do it the right way. Be a godly husband. Be a godly wife. Be a godly child. And someday, the victor's crown will be ours. That's what he refers to there in verse 5. They, the winners of the Olympic Games would get a plated wreath of plants around, a little circlet of, of vine around their head and an attaboy from, from the local authorities in Rome, Caesar himself. But that, the problem with dried flowers is they dry up really quick. The crown of life that you and I will inherit working for the Lord is going to last forever. That's the difference. It is huge. But an athlete competes according to the rules. Where's, where's the rule book that we have? You hold it in your hands. The Word of God. You know the Word of God. Do it right. Don't do it wrong. Don't live according to the flesh. The crown that awaits us in verse 5, it's a Stephanos. It's the competitor's crown, the victor's wreath as opposed to Christ's diadem, the king's crown. And like all athletics, it requires strong qualities of discipline, self-control, endurance, a certain mental toughness. Be a good spiritual athlete. God's not impressed by how far you can run in the flesh. But be a spiritual athlete. That pleases him greatly. And the third example, verse 6, is that of a farmer. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Hardworking. I've got that one italicized in, in mine. Hardworking as opposed to people that are lazy or idle or unengaged. Farming is not for the weak-minded or weak-willed or weak-backed. Farming in the first century was terribly hard. They didn't have combines. They didn't have seed-sowing machines. They didn't have irrigation systems. Farming back in the first century was very, very difficult. Then work hard at being a good Christian. 
He's the first to receive the share of the crops as we will be among the first to receive our eternal reward when the trumpet sounds. The point is this, dedicated service to God will be rewarded in this life as well as the next. So in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. It does carry reward. There's nothing wrong with that being your motivation. I want to please my commanding officer. I want to do this because there's not a, not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's a crown waiting for me in heaven that someday will take off and lay at the feet of Jesus Christ himself. But these things, to be a Christian, a, a good Christian these last days, takes discipline, it takes self-control, endurance takes a certain toughness. <clears throat> I was noticing the other day on, on the news that there is a, a desperate shortage of airline pilots. But airline pilots, is pursuing a job as an airline pilot, uh, your schooling is not open to being covered by federal school loans. And it costs over $100,000 to get your ATP. So that's a serious investment. And pilots train constantly. They have to go through classes you can't even imagine. It starts with your private pilot's license, which is you enough of itself. And then you get your IFR certification, your CFI. It goes on and on and on. But you can't finance that stuff. Now, if you want a fine arts degree that is useless when you get out of there with, with a BA degree... They should call the BA degrees BS degrees, but they don't. Bachelor of Science degree is different, but these liberal arts degrees that you can't do anything with, oh, the federal government will, will grant you funds to cover that all day long and maybe even write them off. You want to do something useful, like fly people through the skies? What? There are some things that you have to remind yourself, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. Because this is what he's called me to. Life is difficult for every one of us. But I, I noticed that as I've had many friends that were professional pilots over the years, it takes discipline. It takes hard work. You've got to crack a lot of books. You've got to make a major investment of time and energy and money. Do we do that with Jesus Christ? Do we pursue him as vigorously as we do our employment ends? Verse 6 puts the emphasis on hard-working, hard-working. We understand that life is hard, but the success, I think, will always be achieved through discipline and hard work and single-mindedness. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive the crops. Verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying. Think, think about these things. For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. It's really simple. You're a soldier. Please God. Please, God. You're an athlete. Follow the rules. Do it right. Run the race. Very simple. You're a farmer. Be patient. Yelling at the seed doesn't help. It takes time. It takes time to mature Christians. Look how patient God is with you. Uh, be patient with each other. None of us are moving as fast as other people would like us to move. How come you're not growing faster than you are? You know, sometimes it just takes a while to grow up. Nothing happens quickly, it doesn't seem like. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Remember. Circle the word remember in your Bible. You can't ever forget this is all about Jesus. It's not about whatever you think it is. It's about Jesus. The pursuit of life, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. I may be in chains, but you know what? The gospel keeps moving forward. People keep getting saved. We've planted seeds, God's watering, granting a harvest. It's glorious. The heart of the gospel, it's Jesus Christ. Sometimes we convince ourselves, if I just mention the name God, I've done my work as a Christian. What God? The Hindus have thousands of gods. Which, which God are you referring to? So to nebulously put out something as obtuse as 
a rare mention of God, and then you pat yourself on the back, oh, I was a good witness for Jesus today. You didn't mention his name. You mentioned God, but that could, in, that could involve any one of thousands of deities around the world today. You mentioned Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what? There's a line drawn in the sand. By his name you're saved, and there is no other name. So don't just bring Jesus into the conversation from time to time, please. God is our eternal Father, to be sure. But there's no other way to be saved. If you don't mention Jesus Christ, you have denied them the only name by which they can be saved. Our God has a name. His Old Testament name in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's been Germanicized coming into the English language, so you've probably heard him referred to as Jehovah from time to time. But there is no J or V in the Hebrew alphabet. It would have been impossible for them to pronounce it that way. His name is Yahweh. Jesus is Jesus' name. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. But we've got to keep him central to the dialogue. I'd, if I were you, I'd be praying, Lord, give me today an opportunity to mention the name Jesus. Just give me an opportunity to tell somebody there's no other way to be saved. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only one who died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead on the third day. That separates him from every other religious being that has ever been born. Remember Jesus Christ, verse 8, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. He had been under house arrest previously. He's in a dungeon now. Do you know where that word comes from? Just look at the first four letters of the word dungeon, and it tells you what a hellhole Roman dungeons actually were. They are more despicable and filthy, rat-infested, horrendous-smelling, uncomfortable, dark, dank, cold than you and I could ever imagine. And Paul is chained like a common criminal, but praises God in verse 9, but God's Word is not chained. It's not chained. Therefore, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Who are the elect? That's a term that has different meanings as it's used throughout Scripture. Sometimes elect in the Bible refers to God's chosen ones. In the Old Testament, it's often used to refer to the Jewish people. In the New Testament, to Christians, sometimes applied to Jewish converts or Gentiles. Sometimes it even refers to those that are going to be saved but are not yet saved. They can be described as, in 1 Timothy 5.21, there are elect angels, and there are fallen angels that we call demons. Because of the elect, I endure everything, Paul says, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God knows those who are His. You and I may not. So we share the gospel with everybody, and some receive that, and it, it, that seed's planted in their heart, bears fruit. They are the elect. Here's the trustworthy saying, he goes on to say in, in verse 11. We died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Some have suggested this is a hymn in the first century church. Sure is phrased that way in the original language. It bears the marks of a, a hymn that was sung uh, in, in the early church. If we're dead with Christ, we will live with him. Have you died to the world? Have you been crucified with Christ? Or do you still live for the flesh? Our physical bodies may die, but our spirits will go on to new heavenly bodies. Amen. I can't wait. Jesus had said in John eleven twenty six, 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you realize Muhammad never said that about himself? Buddha never said that about himself. 
That was never claimed for any of the Shinto deities, and yet millions, billions are deceived by those false religious systems. There are not many paths to God. Jesus said there's one. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many find it. But Jesus said to Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He's going to live forever. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? With all of my heart, I believe this. That gives me such an unshakable confidence in him. Jesus has come. He has set us free. If we suffer, we'll also reign with him. Paul was suffering for Christ at the very time he he wrote this letter here. We may not believe in Christ, but he is still who he is. He is faithful to perform what he has said that he is. But I would like to draw your attention briefly to verse 12. Look at there, 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we disown him, he will disown us. Jesus had said exactly the same thing in the gospel of Matthew. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Verse 12 is to me a wake-up call to backslidden Christians. It is possible to fall away from the Lord. Or these warnings about not falling away from the Lord fall on deaf ears. In Matthew 10 and verse 22, Jesus said, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Persevere, Christians. I've known so many that have just walked away from the Lord, walked away from the church, started acting and thinking and and conducting themselves just like the world does, and they think it's okay. Well, we smoke a little dope, we do a little drugs, we don't go to church, we don't read, we don't pray, but we're all okay with God. I think that's self-deception. Jesus said only those who stand firm to the end will be saved. I, I, I am... My heart grieves over those that have walked away from their faith in recent years. Since COVID, realize that half the people that left because of COVID never came back. Half of the people that left churches during COVID never came back, just as Satan wants. That's why all the churches are half empty these days. Satan has done a a masterful job of taking Christians out of the body of Christ. They are ineffectual. There is no joy. There is no love. There is no victory. There is certainly no evangelism done by those people. How it must break the heart of God that those that he died to save can't be bothered with him anymore. In verse 32 of Matthew 10, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. There's a lot on the line there, isn't there? Don't deny Christ. If somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Think your answer through carefully. That's not the time to be politically correct. That's the time to stand firm in your faith. Jesus said in Matthew 24, starting in verse 12, in the last days, Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We're living in that day and age where there's lots of Christians where their love just seems to have grown cold. Their love of God, their love of church, their love of family, their love of service. They live for themselves, and they've been engaged in the sins of the world, and they have convinced themselves that all is okay, but it is not. Some of you are married to such people or have children that have walked away from the Lord or grandchildren. Pray for them. Pray for them. God, that God would envelop them in his arms and draw them back to himself. Paul would say in Romans 8, 17, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if... 
Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. That, in a nutshell, is what he's telling Timothy. We will suffer together through the difficulties of this life because there is glory that is awaiting us. In Revelation 20 and verse 4, I saw thrones, John says, upon which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. That's Paul. That's Paul. John, in writing the Revelation, says, I saw the souls of these guys, like Paul, who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus Christ, because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast, or his image had not received the mark, his mark on their forehead. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Christ on this earth, with you and I ruling with him over all of the nations counties, districts, states, cities throughout the earth. And they came to life and reigned for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those that share in the first resurrection. The second death, eternal death, has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Your reward is sure. Hang in there. Don't give up. Life is tough. Just say amen. <laughs> we all got a different plate of fish to deal with, but life is tough. I couldn't do the things that you go through, and I don't think you could go through the things that we go through. Each of our trials is custom-tailored for each one of us. But be sympathetic. Let's suffer together, as Paul tells Timothy, because we are in this together. And he goes on in verse 14 and says, reminding them of these things, warn them before God against quarreling without words. It is of no value, only ruins those who listen. There are some people that have a theological bent and all they want to do is argue. Or maybe they just, they just like arguing. Or maybe like Rocky Mountain goats, they just like butting heads. Goats butt heads. Sheep shouldn't. Don't argue. Don't argue. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Correctly handles. Present tense, do it and keep on doing it. Active voice, only you can do this, Timothy. Make sure you, you handle the word of God rightly. Don't twist it. Don't take it out of context. Don't massage its meaning to accomplish your flesh. Correctly handle the Word of God. And I think that's incumbent upon you and I because the Word of God, I'll tell you what, it was written by somebody to somebody. That's specific. You should have some kind of a handle on that. Any good study Bible will help you do that. But a text without a context is a pretext. Understand that. So you're not free to lift the Word of God out and say, well, this is what it means to me. I don't care what you flesh says it means to you. It has a context. It's written in a passage by somebody to somebody. You can't take it out of there and say, well, I'm going to say it means this or that. That's heresy. That's what false teachers do. There's a context behind this text that we have in our hands. There is history, culture, background, language, all of which make for a right interpretation so you can make a proper application. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. I don't know what it means, don't know who wrote it, don't care. I lifted these three words out of the middle of that sentence, and that's mine, I'm claiming it. Maybe you should read the rest of the sentence. Maybe you should read a couple of sentences before that and after that. Are you sure that you're claiming what it means in a right interpretation? Only then can you make a right application. So much Scripture is lifted from the text. Health, wealth, and prosperity teaches, oh, I saw this Scripture over here. God wants you healthy, wealthy. You know, really? Read the rest of the context. If Scripture interprets Scripture, maybe you should do a little homework on that before you embrace that kind of corrupt theology. Look carefully what it said. That's the problem with watching people on TV or listening to them on social media and stuff like this. They'll quote verses all over the place. There is safety in looking at the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter. 
there's a safeguard that is there. Because cherry pickers can take a scripture here, a scripture there, a scripture there, and mold it all together like a big fat cherry pie with a lace top on it and tell you, well, this is biblical truth. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'll give you just one for instance. This is a silly example, but follow me. There is a scripture that says Judas went out and hung himself. That's scripture. Now, there is another scripture that has absolutely nothing to do with that. There is a scripture that says, go thou and do likewise. Okay? And so cherry pickers, they can take this one over here, and then they'll take this one over here. He committed suicide, so go thou and do likewise. Is that biblical? That is heresy. But a lot of times you listen to people that don't follow the Word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and you can wind up with that kind of illogical reasoning. Here's the problem. You don't have enough time to check them out, so you assume it to be true. Oh, they're rich. They're famous. They're this. They're that. So I should take what they say as truth. All Scripture has a context. All Scripture has a context, a background. We're not free to violate these things. So it is imperative, not just pastors, but everybody in the body of Christ, handle the Word of God correctly, please. Well, I heard this false teacher say this, that, and that. I'm, just, I'm claiming that one. No, I hate it when that goes on. You don't know if that's in context or not. You've just heard them quote a part of Scripture that conveniently makes the point they're trying to make. Judas went out and hung himself. Go thou and do likewise. That would change the makeup of the church overnight, wouldn't it? I'm claiming that verse. That's foolishness. But many do that. Sort of exegesis, eisegesis, really, with God's Word, where they read into it whatever meets their personal theological need at the moment. That's not why Scripture was written. All Scripture is God-breathed and is suitable for correction, to get your wrong thinking right. For correction, rebuke, training, and righteousness. The Word of God in context. So even in your quiet times, I know that some of you have a quiet time that looks something like this. Okay, Lord, I, I have, th you, you got three minutes. So, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe, and where I turn, I don't know. But, uh, and then you, whoa, I'm in lamentations. Great, you start out your day bummed out and depressed and discouraged. Because you're not familiar. Oh, I'm here in chapter 2, and oh, the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud of his anger, and you're going, Ugh. he has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth and not remembered. Uh, maybe there's more than a methodical way through the Word of God. Chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse. And then you acknowledge the history and the context, and, and you've got a handle on it. You, you can rightly then make application of it. I know there is times where we've done this before, where we're just in panic mode, and we, I, I don't have any time at all, and you'll open it up, and God will actually speak to your heart. I'm just saying that's not the best or most consistent way you should approach Scripture. That's called the shotgun approach. It's like hunting ducks. If you throw up enough lead, you're bound to hit something sooner or later. That does not sound like good duck hunting to me. Maybe we should take aim. <laughs> Maybe we should think about things. Maybe we should know the target that we're aiming for. Maybe we should know what the Word of God actually says before we lift it from its natural context to meet a personal theology or a point a false teacher has made correctly handle the Word of God. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Slander and gossip, it comes easily to the carnal nature. Don't want to do that. Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Gangrene, there's a, there's a word picture, huh? You know what the word gangrene is in Greek? Gangrene. It's ugly, it's nasty, it's green, it's furry, it's not good. And among them, and he names these guys out because apparently they had done massive amounts of damage to the church. So Paul calls them out by name. Well, here's a couple of false teachers for you. Keep an eye out for these guys. Here's Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. Interesting way that's worded. They have wandered away from the truth. Apparently they once held to it. They were once a part of the body of Christ. 
They once read the Bible. They once shared in communion and fellowship with the saints. But they have wandered away from the truth. They have erred. They have missed the mark. And that was by their own willful choice and volition. They knew what they were doing. They did it anyway. You know, in Hebrews chapter 2, there is a warning against drifting away. Hebrews 2 and verse 1, it's, it's in the aorist tense, which means at some point in time, active voice, which means they made the choice to drift away. Subjunctive means they didn't have to do it, but chose to. Drifting away, like a, the perfect picture in the word used in first century was a ship that had lost its moorings. The knot had come undone, and it drifted away from the dock and was headed out to the open sea. A ship loosed from its moorings will simply drift with the current wherever it takes it. Don't lose sight of who your salvation is tied to. Don't drift with the current of the world. There was a, a Russian luxury ocean liner a number of years ago that after going through a handful of different owners was being towed in the middle of a storm to be scrapped at one of the shipbreaking yards. And in the middle of this storm, the, the line snapped between the tugboat and this, this uh, old ocean liner. For the next 20 years, it drifted and was seen in every major ocean of the world over the next 20 years. Drifting with the current. Now, I thought to myself, Kathy, if we could just find out where that ship is. You know, we could bring this baby home. <laughs> we could have our own ocean liner, you know. And then I heard, well, it's rat infested. and The rats survive by eating each other. And so I, I quickly decided it's not a ship that I'd, I'd care to own at all. The point is this. That ship was just drifting. There are Christians that have drifted away from the Lord and are drifting with the current of the world. So whatever's popular in the world is now popular with them. Whatever the newest thing, that's what they're chasing after. They're just drifting with the current of this unsaved world. Whatever popular is today will, it will be passe tomorrow, but they don't care. They'll just drift with the next current. Oh, plaids are in this year, but next year it's going to be wide whale corduroy pants. Or, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that was just a 60s thing. They probably shouldn't make a comeback. But what you don't want to do is assume that drifting on the currents of the world is okay for the Christian. It's not. It's not. God wants you firmly anchored to your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there, there is flexibility in that. You know, you drop an anchor off the front of a boat. It's free to pivot around the anchor. That's, that's fine. There's lots of different things that I, I can do. But what I'm anchored to is Jesus Christ. Did you know that in any kind of a wind situation, any boat of any size will always point into the wind? It's aerodynamically shaped that way, or in the case of ships, hydrodynamically shaped that way. It always heads into the wind. I'll tell you what, when you're anchored in Christ Jesus, you can face any headwind that comes your way at all. It won't upset you. It won't wash over your sides. You're heading into the storm. Jesus is asleep under the back of the boat, and we have peace because he's the navigator. But I'm anchored I'm anchored in Christ Jesus. There, there should be an unshakable quality to your faith. There should be some bedrock down there that no amount of tectonic activity could misplace. You don't want to be a ghosted Russian ocean liner with rats on board just drifting with the current of the world. I made the mistake myself one time when I was going to school out in California Boogie boards were the popular thing, so I had a boogie board and went out there in the middle of the day when you've got no tide at all. They come in the morning and the evening, so it was real calm, and I was out there foolishly waiting for a wave to come in. Waves don't come in in the middle of the day, so I was just waiting and waiting and waiting. Decided to lay down on the board. Went to sleep. Woke up. Shore's five miles away. I thought, oh, my goodness. I couldn't see it. I drifted way down uh, a long ways from the, the beach position. I didn't recognize the beach I was at. 
I, and I could see it in the distance, and I'm, I have come, I have drifted a long way. That's how subtle Satan's tactics are against you. You can drill, close your eyes for five minutes, and you have drifted so far off your compass heading. I shared with this with you before. Rob will probably get a kick out of this. If you take off from LAX and you're headed for Hawaii and your compass heading's only off one degree, you'll miss the Hawaiian Islands by 300 miles. You'll never even see them. So a little deviation in your course plot of life can put you in a place where you don't want to be. Drifting is not a profitable place to be at all. You want to be anchored in Christ Jesus. It, it, it's imperative. And as Paul hands off the mantle to his young protege, it, there's this sense of urgency, this sense of, of importance. Nevertheless, verse 19, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must, say must, must turn away from wickedness. That's worldliness. That's the things that the world says. Have you noticed how this whole LGBTQ plus thing is being rammed down your throat? You can't even watch Disney cartoons or animation without being rammed down your throat. Buzz Lightyear is kissing on other people, and the red panda is coming out of the closet, and you're going, are you serious? It's not enough that they want to be accepted. Christ will accept them just as they are, but he denied to deliver them from the sins that engulfed them. You and I cannot say, well, that's, they're just looking for acceptance. No, they'd be looking for God if that were the case. And they would find acceptance there, not for their lifestyle, but care for their souls. They need Jesus. We live in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We must not accept the sin of the world as being the status quo and the normal for today when only 1% to 2% engage in it at all. The tail is wagging the dog in the world today. The world has been founded upon Judeo-Christian principles and virtues, morals. We have lost our moral compass. We are adrift in a sewer of an ocean. We are in moral freefall in the world today, and the church cannot say that that is okay. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord, you want to look at verse 19 carefully, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn from wickedness. I belong to God. I belong to God. In a, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy. We're not holy in and of ourselves. That's Jesus' work. Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Made holy. We're set apart, set apart for the ma master's use, useful to our master, and prepared to do any good work. Notice whose responsibility is it is to cleanse ourselves. Verse 21, if a man cleanses himself. That's your job and mine. Got a problem with pornography? You must cleanse yourself from that. You got a problem with drugs or alcohol or sexual promiscuity? You must cleanse yourself from these things. You cannot cling to them and cling to the, the Lord Jesus Christ. If a man cleanses himself from these things, will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared for any good work. Now, he's talking to a young man in verse 32, a 30-year-old. I try to think back that far, and I understand what he's talking about. As he commands him, it's a command in the original language. Verse 22, Timothy, flee from, youthful from evil desires of youth and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There certainly are lusts that are peculiar to flaming youth. Timothy is is probably less than 30 years of old. But notice that every one of us has a call to flee from some things and flee to other things. 
Flee from the things of the flesh and the things of the world. Run the other way as fast as you can. It's a picture of a guy who puts on his athletic shoes and runs as quickly as he can away from these evil desires of youth and run to pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord. There are certain things you have to run from. There's only one place you need to run to, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Call upon the name of the Lord. He'll come to your aid. Pursue these things, each one of us. Pursue righteousness. You have to pursue it because it doesn't just jump out of the lake into your, into your fish box. That's not the way it works. Righteousness requires intentionality. You've got to put something in the flight computer before you're going to wind up at any given destination. You've got to input something. Wouldn't you be hesitant to get on board an airplane where the captain says, you know, today we're taking off from LAX, and I think, I think we're headed for Hawaii, but I'm not sure. I mean, quite frankly, any old destination would be fine, wouldn't it? I mean, wherever. Flight computer's broke. Inertial navigational system, inoperative. I threw my boot at my compass. I broke it. I can't. I don't know where we're going, but, you know, trust me. You have to be intentional in pursuing righteousness. Faith, love, and peace, it doesn't happen accidentally. You have to pursue it. You have to pursue it. Those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, theological or otherwise, because you know that they just produce quarrels. They, you know, people fight over the dumbest things today. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Walk away from an argument. Let him win. I just want to talk to husbands and wives for just a second because this may be where the majority of arguments come from in the church today. I understand the number one thing they argue about is finances. Nothing to argue about if you don't care. You want to be a good steward, care for nothing about riches. I'm trusting God for food, clothing, and shelter but I'm not pursuing riches in this world. I'm pursuing Christ. He makes sure that I have food, clothing, and shelter. I'm content with that, as Paul was. Lord's servant must not quarrel. Don't argue. Wives and husbands, you, you can solve an argument very quickly. Here's how you do this. Husbands don't ever want to give in because they always think they're right. Every once in a blue moon they are, but sometimes wives just bring a lot more common sense to the table. Here's how you can stop an argument. You're right. You win this one. Maybe tomorrow I'll win, but you got this one. You, you got your, whatever, that's fine. You win. Settles the argument real quick. What's to argue about then? Nothing. Do it your way, that's fine. Put the screen door on the back porch backwards, that's fine. You'll find out soon enough. It doesn't work that way. I speak from experience. <laughs> My sweet wife is so patient with me. Honey, I don't think that's going to work. Sure, it'll work. Just use a bigger hammer. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I don't want to quarrel. When's the last time you had a quarrel? Do you even remember who won or what you were quarreling about? Where do we go to dinner? I don't know. I want to go to Taco Bell. You know, I want to go to the steaks. Who cares? I just want to eat. <laughs> you know? Lord, servant must not quarrel, verse 24. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The closer you get to him, the kinder you are. Be kind. Be kind to everyone, able to teach. He's telling Timothy, you're, you're, over, you're taking over my ministry now, able to teach, but do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be resentful of people that are resistant. Verse 25, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. That's what I try my best to do Sunday by Sunday. There's some of you that will sit there with your arms crossed, glaring at me, going, well, I don't believe you. 
I don't trust you. That's not what it means to me. Well, quite frankly, the only, I just want to know what it means to God and then apply it to my life and my situation just day by day, moment by moment. I don't claim to know anything, but people that disagree with me, I must gently instruct. Not everybody's going to see it my way, and that's fine. Did you know you can still make it to heaven and not see everything eye to eye with me? There's a revelation. But gently instruct. You should know what you believe. You should know why you believe it. And when you discourse with other people about those things, you should be gentle, be respectful, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. As a, as a pastor, I've had to deal with those sorts of issues time and time again as they come into the church over the years, different movements of one kind or another that create disruption amongst the sheep and, and unsettle them. And my, my job is to sometimes confront but always pray that God would grant them repentance, that they'd come back someday to the Lord and, or, to, or to even myself and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I started division in your church, and I didn't mean to, and I'm sorry, I apologize. How many times has that happened in my 35 years of ministry? None. Sheep are stubborn. Not you. I'm not saying you. You're not stubborn, of course. But there's a lot of other sheep out there that are. They can't admit when they're wrong. Just can't admit it. Well, Paul says, you just commit them into God's hands and move on. Don't worry about that. Verse 26, and they will come to their senses, pray for them that God would lead them to the knowledge of the truth. They'll come to their senses, escape the trap of the devil who's always trying to divide husbands and wives and kids and churches, denominations, who has taken them captive to do his will. Here's Here's chapter two in a nutshell. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to the message, to the Lord, to, to yourself, to others. Stay faithful. Secondly, stay godly. Stay godly. Flee youthful lusts, impurity. Stay pure, undefiled from the things of the world, the things of the flesh. Stay undefiled. Do your level best. If we have a problem with impurity, remember in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our hearts. But My dear children, I write this to you, John says, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. I think confession of sin coupled with a humble, repentant heart will always lead to restoration and victory. So stay faithful, stay godly. Stay humble. That is all that God requires of you today. But be intentional in pursuing God so that these things can be a part of your life. They don't happen accidentally. Be intentional. Let's stand and close in prayer, shall we? Get you guys out of here in time for for lunch. Lord God Almighty, you were so patient with Paul. He had as many shortcomings, I think, as any of us. Paul was so patient with Timothy and here in this swan song encourages this young man to simply stay faithful, to pursue spirituality, to walk in humility and repentance all the days of his life. Help us to do the same. I don't ever want to be proud or arrogant or boastful or stubborn like a mule. Lord, I want to be yielded and soft, kind and gentle towards those that agree with me or disagree with me. It doesn't matter. You've called us to exercise the fruit of your Holy Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we commit ourselves into your hands this morning as we close in song, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Read ahead, chapter 3 for next week, because every text has a context. Amen? (laughs) God is good.